Who loves technology? Yeah. Zoomers, hello. I think you can see us from what I understand. Some of the other tech has not been cooperating uh, over the last five weeks, but that's okay because we just keep pressing on and we're God's people together, and that's all we need. So, um, well, I was just upstairs actually praying, and, uh, <laughs> and I, this has been a prayer of mine a lot. Like, God, you created the universe in six days. Can you get the internet to work? Yeah, you know, like the entire planet. And, uh, and the answer is yes, and Brian just reminded me in the back uh, that maybe he doesn't want to. And so we're going <laughs> to stick with that because the answer is always yes, he can. Um, but prayer is an interesting thing. You know, do you ever really process and think about how prayer works? Uh, I know I do. Just like, what is happening? Like God, the creator of the universe, invites us to come to him personally without uh, somebody, without a middleman in between, but to approach his throne. It says, in fact, that Jesus is praying uh, on our behalf for us to the Father. So we have access to God, and then God himself is praying and asking for God to work. Pretty amazing thing, if you think about it, that we have this kind of access. And, uh, and I read a quote, I think it's Timothy. Keller, I'm not totally sure I'm just making it up right now, but uh, but uh, only a child asks for asks the king for a glass of water. You know, like we have that kind of access. No, not just anybody gets to go ask the king for a request. Only the child has. So as children of God, we have this kind of access to him. And and as I prayed over the years, you know, but there have been times that I've known exactly what I'm supposed to pray for. There have been times. Uh, that I haven't, you know, just praying and God's, well, God, I don't know what you want in this circumstance. I know what I want. I know how I think you should work, but I don't have the viewpoint that you do. So I want to just submit to your will. Never forget, in that back area right there under the balcony, we prayed uh, for a gentleman with the elders that he would be healed of cancer. And I just knew that he was going to go to the doctor next week and he was going to come back and be completely healed. And I just had this confidence and, I, and I'm praying and having faith. And that didn't happen. He didn't come back the next week. And I go, God, I don't understand. I thought I understood what you wanted me to pray. And maybe I did understand what he wanted me to pray, but he was working in a different way. And so we have that kind of a glimpse here as we look at Daniel chapter 9. Again, as we remember the book of Daniel, the first uh, six chapters or so are historical events, happenings of what happened to Daniel and uh, the people of God being pulled out of their lands in Babylon to be in captivity, to live as exiles in a land uh, that was not their own. And uh, then in these last few chapters of prophecy of Daniel seeing visions and God explaining them uh, through an angel at times and, and, and struggling to understand these visions. And last week we had this prayer. As Daniel was reading in the book of Jeremiah, which talked about going into captivity, Jeremiah was warning the Israelites about how they lived and that if they kept up their obstinate living, that they would be carried off in the captivity for a time. And he says that as he read, he discerned from these books that the time of their captivity was nearing an end. 
And so Daniel is praying and, and he's taking upon himself the sins of his people and saying, we have sinned against you and our transgressions are great. And God, be faithful to your own name. And we are a people called by your name. So I trust that you will be faithful, not because we have been faithful, but because you are ever faithful. And so that was the first half of chapter 9. We're going to look at the last number of verses starting in verse 20. So we'll pick it up there. It says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord, uh, my God, for the holy hill of my God. He's talking about Jerusalem. You know, uh, he, he's talking about a place, Jerusalem, that had, had not had been kind of the center of the Israelite people and, and was their glory and God was shown in his power by the state of Jerusalem. And yet, over the last number of years, it has not looked as glorious as he wanted. And so he's praying on behalf of this. We actually see this in Matthew chapter 5, where, uh, where Jesus is talking, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So in Matthew, this is kingdom language. You are a city on a hill. You are a light that should not be hidden. You are ones that shine and that I place you in a spot that you can have an impact on the world. And so this is kingdom language in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament it was a little bit different. God's kingdom had not come at that time. And so there was a physical location that people would look to a city on a hill and, and be impressed by who God was and who God's people were. Daniel chapter 9 verse 21 says, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in, in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. So again, the same Gabriel, he said, the guy that I saw to begin with, and he's referring back to chapter 8 when Gabriel came and gave him uh, the, the understanding of what the vision he had just seen was all about, which continues to support this authorship of Daniel throughout the book of Daniel, as others have said that. Somebody wrote part, and another person wrote a different part. This continues to build on Daniel's authorship. It says that this Gabriel appeared to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. Now it's interesting to note, and if you've got a notebook uh, or a pen and paper, oh boy, get it out, because there's some stuff in this end of, of chapter 9 that is super confusing, so you might want to write some stuff down. <laughs> uh, and so right here, though, at the time of evening sacrifice, you know, they've been out and in captivity for more than 50 years. There have not been evening sacrifices in that whole time offered at the temple in the courts. And yet Daniel, at least, as long as well as some of the other Israelites, still lived by their kingdom's culture. Not by the culture of the Babylonians or now by the Persians, but according to their own culture. And so they saw it fit at the morning and the evening times that were natural times of prayer that they continued to observe decades after they had been taken out of their world and then were living in exile. They still had kingdom timing. They had this kingdom mindset about them and not 
about the land that they were currently living in. Verse 22. He made me understand, this is Gabriel, helping Daniel to understand, speaking to me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And so he's saying here that I'm going to give you insight and understanding. Because the thing that you have deciphered, you have deciphered well, but there's even more to it. And I've come to give you that kind of an insight into these words. And so again, as he's, he's looking at the book of Jeremiah, he's studying what God has said in his word. Uh, there's so much readily apparent, and yet God has the ability to reveal the deeper things to us in his timing. And so Daniel is now ready to listen. But did you notice I would have said, at the beginning of your prayer, God dispatched. At the very beginning, God was at work. And not just in dispatching me, because the point wasn't Gabriel's coming. The point was that Daniel would have understanding. That Daniel would have insights into God's intention and his meaning. And, and yet, that came with the dispatching of Gabriel in the moment you notice that while I was still praying. So while God, uh, while Daniel is beginning to pray, to pray, God is at work, and He is putting His plans into motion. And while He's still in mid thought, this angel comes and is going to speak to him. And for what reason? He says to me, "Because you are greatly loved." He says, "You are a precious treasure to God." Is what that word actually means. In the next couple chapters, Daniel 11, uh, there's some verses about a king that says that he shall become ruler of the treasure of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt. You know, see, see, that's worldly values. This king in chapter 11 is going to value the things of the world, all the treasures of Egypt. But here in chapter 9, that same word is used about Daniel. You, Daniel, are a precious treasure. You see, that's kingdom values. Different set of values than what's taking place in the world around Daniel. They're in, in Babylonian, now actually Persian, uh, conquested territory. In their culture, God is still working according to his own values. Because you are a precious treasure to me. I've sent this messenger so that you would have insight and understanding. And oh boy, would he need it. Let's go to chapter verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in an everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint the most holy place. That's it. That's all I was about. Okay, simple. Okay, so, so he is reading about these 70 years, these 70 seasons in Jeremiah, and understanding that to mean that after this 70 season, that the Israelites are going to come out of captivity. That's why he's praying, he's preparing his heart and his people's hearts uh, to come back into the land that was promised to them. And so he's understanding it this way, but the angel Gabriel is saying that there's more to it. This 70 is so much more than just you coming out of captivity. And as we read this, we would see it uh, in one way. And so here it says 70 weeks. 
So for 70 weeks, it'd be 490 days, and we just think of it that way. Okay, 70 weeks, 77 hour, seven day periods. That makes sense to us. And yet, uh, for the Israelites, they would have understood that slightly different. They would have understood it as 70 different kinds of time periods. So if it was days, it'd be 490 days. Uh, 70 periods of different time. If it was months, 70 sets of seven months, that'd be about 41 years. 70 different seasons, as we know, four seasons in a year would be about 122 and a half years. Or maybe it's 70 times seven years, 490 years. And so we're going to get back to that time in here in a second. But think of this more not as 70 weeks, as we understand weeks, but 70 periods of time. Okay, and this is what is going to take place in that 70 periods of time. And the decree uh, is about your people and your holy city. This is about God's people. This is about the Israelites and the promises that have been laid out to them for centuries before. But also for this holy city, as Daniel has been praying for throughout chapter 9. And so we see that this is going to be connected to that. To finish transgressions, the angel says. And the transgressions would be about the concluding of man's rebellion against God's will. Okay, so in this, 70, uh, this period of 77s, the end of the transgression or rebellion against God's will would come to pass to put an end to sin. While the transgressions are more of the state of the heart, the sins are the actions that resulted from the state of the hearts. He said those will be completed. It says to atone for all iniquity. And this is pointing directly to the work of the cross when atonement or payment for mankind having missed the mark and sin over and over again would be taken care of. This time period will also bring an everlasting righteousness when the natural state of the world would be in line with God's will to seal visions and prophets. To, to, to show the completion of all the visions that Daniel had had, but not just Daniel, but prophets that had come before him to bring completion and conclusion to all the visions and all the words of God's prophets throughout the years. And so he goes on to anoint the most holy place. This is likely talking about the temple. We know of, of the temple having the holy place and the most holy place or the holy of holies, the place that God's presence would reside in the Old Testament within the tabernacle that was temporary within the temple that was established with brick and mortar, but also we understand as temporary. And, and Ezekiel talks about another temple. Think about this. Maybe close your eyes and envision this for a moment. Ezekiel 43. Then he led me to a gate. The gate facing east, and behold, the glory of God of Israel was coming from the east. The sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory, and the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east. And the Spirit lifted me and brought me to the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me. And out of the temple he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. 
These words in Ezekiel are talking about a millennial kingdom, temple, a time that would come that God's presence would not just reside in a, in a building, but would reside in God's people and ultimately would reside for eternity with those who he called his own. You see, this whole first part of, of these verses, all that would be accomplished in these 70 time periods are kingdom goals. God knows what he's about. He knows what he's setting out to accomplish, and he has set these goals. We often set goals to attempt to meet them. And God, when he sets goals, they're already done. We just have to wait to see what they look like. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, it says, Know therefore, and understand from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, or seven time periods. Then, for sixty-two weeks, or sixty-two time periods, it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. And so he begins to, to clarify what these seventy seasons will hold. Gabriel is saying that the, this prophetic clock will start when the decree goes out to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And, and scholars within this section uh, have a lot of different theories going that have not been able to totally land up for hundreds and hundreds of years. There's a couple of op options where King Cyrus has, has said to go and to rebuild the temple. That was in Second Chronicles and, and again in the book of Ezra. There's a decree of Artaxerxes, who you may know was connected to Esther, or where he said to go rebuild the temple, but the most likely and the most fitting is out of Nehemiah chapter 2. When King Artaxerxes says to Nehemiah, Nehemiah has heard that some have come back from captivity. This is the future. I'm jumping forward a, a little bit. But uh, people come back and said, you should see the state of, of the walls of Jerusalem. They're in sad shape and, and Nehemiah is downcasting set. And the king says, what's wrong? And he says, how can I be joyful when God's holy city is sitting in ruins and Artaxerxes is moved and he makes a decree go back? In fact, I'm going to send you with enough supplies. I'm going to send you with a letter from the king to help you go back and to rebuild the temple and the walls. And we know that this takes place as we look back into history, Nehemiah chapter 2, in about the year 445 B.C. And so what is talked about, that first period of seven, seven weeks or seven time periods, will be the time that the temple is being rebuilt and the walls are being rebuilt. And you can see that season very clearly in the book of Nehemiah. But then Gabriel said that there would be a second season of 62 times and periods of time that come. And if you start at that point in time, 445 B.C., and we look at the Jewish custom, now this isn't my work, this is other people's work, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? Right? Like, I didn't figure out that on my own. Uh, so I'm just like putting that out there, so write it down, because that's what I did. Uh, um, and so from the year 445 B.C., understanding the Jewish culture of a 360-day year, uh, so uh, that would be 483 years. So 483 years from the time of this decree would put us right at 30 A.D., or the time of the triumphal entry, the time when Jesus was about to go to the cross. And we see here in verse 26, it says that the anointed one will be cut off. 
the anointed one will be cut off. Let's take a look at verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off, and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. You see that in 70 AD, as this temple in Jerusalem is, is destroyed. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now you're going to have to come back to this stuff to wrap your head around it. I know I did it over and over. What is this all talking about? What's happening? It says that after that time period, Jesus will go to the cross. It says that the, uh, once Messiah is killed, the people, the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And then there will be the final of the 70 weeks. You see, it's according to this and the theory that goes along with it is that 69 of the 70 weeks have taken place and then there is a prophetic clock that has been frozen in time. This is the time of the kingdom come. There's one more week that's described in these verses that will still come. But as the kingdom has now arrived, as so many of the things that are outlined in, in the earlier chapters of the goals, the kingdom goals that he had set, the completion of, of atonement on the cross has taken place, and now we live in a time that the kingdom has come. That God has given uh, the, the, the inclusion of what the mystery was for years to include all people, Israelites and Gentiles alike in his kingdom as we can live according to his heart and as we live according to his heart, his will, we bring the kingdom come where we're at. That God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, as it is lived out by the church and God's people empowered by God's spirit. So we're in this pause in the prophetic clock of the kingdom come and yet that last day will come. Jesus actually talks about this a lot in Matthew chapter 24. You can read all about it at the end of the chapter there. But this is what Jesus says about that half of a week and then another half of the week or, or that last time period. It says that when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, this is Jesus speaking, spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And then he talks about the Antichrist, one who would bring the covenant that was set with Israel. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be again. So the prophecy of the 70 weeks or 77s is no doubt complicated. It's infinitely detailed. It was all prophecy for Daniel, but for us, as we look back at history, we can see that some of it is history that has already taken place, and yet this last week or period of seven is history that has yet to take place. Now, now we have a hard time understanding history that has yet to take place, but when we understand God, who's timeless, that, that we are living under his rule, that he understands all of this because it's all his story anyway, right? So he knows the things that are to come and all the confusion, the, the complexity of these verses. This is what I take away. 
The Israelites have been in captivity for what will be seven years, 70 years because of their obstinance and their sin. They will be returned, though, to the land that was promised to them. And the Israelites will no longer be exiles. They will be home. In the same way, man has been living in foreign occupied land. In a state of disconnection from God because of our obstinance and because of our sin from the time of the garden. But we will enter the land that has been promised to us. And we will no longer be exiles. We will be home. But in the meantime, we live as exiles. We live as strangers. We live as journeyers in a foreign land. And we live in a time that we get to bring the kingdom come. So we need to be focused on kingdom living. And as Daniel was recognizing that the days of their captivity were coming to an end, and he went to God in prayer, so much more do we need to be going to God in prayer as well. Because as I look around, and as I read scripture, and I read what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, I think we might be getting close. So praying for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done through our lives, that we can be people of prayer for our country, that we can be a people of prayer uh, for, for our neighbors and for our family, that we can be focused on kingdom living. This is not the time to quit praying. This is the time to commit to prayer and to kingdom living. You see, God has a plan. He's got it all thought out. He knows all the details of what it looks like, and we get glimpses and insight and understanding as he wants us to in the same way that Daniel did. But what did he do first? He spent time in God's books, in Jeremiah, and studying and seeing God. What do you want me to do because of what I'm reading and here? And then he was moved to action. And we see that action throughout his life as he took hard stands for God in very difficult times while he lived as an exile. And as we spend time in God's work, we will have clarity and understanding of where he wants us to stand. Where he wants us to stand on our knees in prayer for his people. And how we can live this out. You see, we don't know the details of the plan. That Jesus said this in Matthew 24 also. He says, but the, concerning the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Let us be focused on kingdom living. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your sovereignty. God, this book over and over again talks about how you were in control. God, kings and kingdoms who uh, didn't have you as a priority, God, you were still in control. Kings that, uh, that built things for their own glory and their own honor, and you were in control. God, a world of chaos for your people, and yet you were in control. <laughs> this book of Daniel just seems so much like it's us. God, that we live in a place that is not uh, run by your priorities, and yet you are in control. God, help us to come to you. God, to you your word, to have understanding and insight that comes from you. God, I thank you that you come to us and your Holy Spirit promises uh, to teach us and, and to reveal things to us and to comfort us in times of struggle and affliction and, and uh, persecution. God, thank you for maybe a chance to be persecuted as we live for you. God, allow us to, to look into this world and to be able to speak peace 
to be able to speak hope, to be able to speak a future, God of inclusion, God of future that is, is open to all, where we all stand equal at the foot of the cross. Lord, thank you for being at work as we pray even now. God, we see that your word was sent out for Daniel. I have no doubt your word is being sent out now. God, to make changes in people's lives, to put us in circumstances that others can see who you are through the way that we live, through the way that we pray, through the way that we rely on each other. God's part for us in this culture, but help us to do it. God, you are so good. We worship you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.